This is Oasis City Radio Music. This is Oasis City Radio Music. This is Oasis City Radio Music. Twenty-four hours a day at oasiscityradio.com. Tune in, iHeartRadio, and the Oasis City Radio app. This is Oasis City Radio music. Oasis City Radio. I'm excited to give uh, to, to deliver a word from God today. We're continuing our series on right or reconciled, right or reconciled. And we've been asking the question, do you want to be right or do you want to be reconciled? And that's the question that we have to be asking ourselves. Do I want to be right or do I want to be reconciled? Because the Lord made it very clear uh, the answer. And it's not right. <laughs> he actually said and shows throughout the scripture that the heart of God is reconciliation. That Jesus on the cross was reconciling the world to himself. That's what the father was doing, reconciling the world to himself, not counting the sins of the people against them. And he has given us, Christ followers, the same mission, the same ministry, and that's reconciliation. So we've been talking about it for a few weeks. And you know, sometimes it's like, well, what does that really mean? How do you live it out. And today I want to show you some scripture and I just want to talk specifically about how this actually looks in life. If you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 10. This is the apostle Paul uh, writing to the church in Corinth and this was a really unique church and he starts off his message, you know, Corinthians 1st and 2nd are, you know, amazing books of the Bible. But this is how Paul started off the whole ministry to this particular church. In chapter, in chapter 1, verse 10, now I exhort you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. Powerful words. He says, I'm exhorting you. In other words, I'm encouraging you. I'm instructing you. If you are to be a Christ follower, let's get out of the gate with, with what's important. And, and here's how we get started. That you all agree. Say agree. Now, those are tough words. We all agree. I mean, I have, we have a family of five, and we can't agree on which restaurant to go to. And we're all hungry. And so it's like, how do we agree? Man, man, you look around, there's people in this room that you don't necessarily agree with. So what is Paul saying? Why is God telling his church that we need to agree? Well, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. But you'll see the reason is because there can't be any divisions among you. We have to agree, and there can't be any divisions. But, but you know, we all don't like the same thing. We all listen to different music. We all like different styles. We like different flavors. We like, you know, different people. Uh, you know, we are, we are attracted to different things. So why is this so important to God? Because differences are good, but divisions are not. 
As a matter of fact, there's power in agreement. And we talked a little bit last week where I mentioned that unity is critical in the kingdom, and we're going to see that in just a moment again mentioned. Unity is critical, but unity and uniformity are different. Uniformity is a bunch of different people, uh, different skin colors, different ages, uh, you know, ethnicities, all this stuff, and all wearing the same uniform. So if you went to a company, and the company may have a uniform, and everybody is, you can be, you, you can have uniformity and not have unity. They're just obeying the same rules, punching in the same time clock, getting paid by the same company. It looks like everybody's in agreement, but they're, they, don't, they aren't necessarily because uniformity has nothing to do with unity. But unity is critical in the body of Christ. Jesus wants us to be one. As a matter of fact, he had a powerful prayer. And, and the prayer for the church when he was going to be resurrected was that they would be one. This is the prayer of Jesus. He's our chief apostle, uh, the scripture says. He's our chief intercessor as well. The book of Hebrews talks about it. And the, the, the great intercessor, Jesus, who's forever, by the way, making intercession, his part of Jesus' prayer forever for eternity is that the body of Christ would be one because there's power in agreement. The scripture also says, let your yes be what? Yes. Let your no be no. And this, there's power in the yes. You can't say yes today over something and then tomorrow be like, oh, I changed my mind. You don't say yes at the altar and make a vow that says in sickness and in health or for richer or poorer, uh, or, you know, or whatever your vows were, and then wake up a month later and say, eh, you know, I'm going to just change my mind on that one. Let your yes be yes because there's power in covenant relationships. So the Lord says that, uh, well, Paul is, well, the Lord's speaking to Paul, to the church. He says, let there be no divisions among you. Now, it's very interesting because Corinth was full of divisions. The church was so diverse. And so people would look at diversity and say, well, the diversity is creating divisions. But the Lord is saying, no, the, your diversity is a beautiful thing but it can't create divisions. That means there is no male or female. There is no race or ethnicity. There is no social economic status that divides. There's no language barrier. There's no culture uh, that one overrides the other. Look at the same, uh, the same scripture in the Passion Translation. He says, I urge you, my brothers and sisters, for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus, I urge you for the sake of Jesus to agree to live in unity. With one another, put to rest any division that attempts to tear you apart. Be restored as one united body living in perfect harmony. Form a consistent choreography among yourselves, having a common perspective with shared values. This is what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. And you have to be active in this. This doesn't happen on its own. Do you want to be right? Or do you want to reconcile? Because reconciliation has to be lived out. And, and I love uh, Brian Simmons here. He says, to agree to live in unity. That's where the power of unity is, not uniformity. And we agree that we want to be unified. We agree that we're going to stand on the word of God. We also agree that we will complement one another in harmony. Today, just a moment ago, you heard some really great harmony. 
I mean, you can have great songs, great lyrics, great music, but when you have great harmony and you have the har- and you were hearing harmony from, from notes, from musicians, and vocal harmony. And, and at one point, and they were doing one of my favorite songs, and I knew, I, could, I, I knew that when I heard the song, I didn't know what the song list was today, um, and so I came in, and when I, when I heard, I was like, oh, I'm excited, because I know what's coming. I know that the, it's in unison, and then they go to two parts, and then they split it, and they go to three parts, and I knew the big moment was coming, and it was glorious when it happened. It was beautiful, because harmony is amazing, but bad harmony Stands out just as much, if not more. The thing about bad harmony is you could have five, six vocalists up here, but one person's part's off. You might not know who, who's off, because we don't want to point fingers anyway, right? But you might not know who's off, but you know it's off. And as soon as they try to hit it, you're like, oh, something didn't happen because they weren't in unity. The parts weren't harmonizing with one another. See, that's the beauty of harmony. It's not all melody. The whole fact of harmony is the fact that it's, it's these different parts that go together and make a beautiful sound. Differences are good. Divisions are not. The difference with an alto and a soprano and a tenor and a bass is good. We celebrate the differences. You don't want a full, full just a bunch of tenors singing or just a bunch of soprano parts going. We want the harmony and the expression. And so just like this worship expression was pleasing to the Lord because our worship is sweet incense to him. Like the evening sacrifice, the scripture says. But this is what we want in our relationships with one another. We want harmony in our relationships. We want to celebrate the fact we're not trying to make everybody look the same. We're trying to say we're in agreement together. We're brothers and sisters we're part of the same body. The church in Corinth, again, was sorely divided. As a matter of fact, just after this verse, Paul identifies a few divisions. You know, they were arguing over which leader they follow. They didn't have agreement on the church leadership. Some said, I, I follow Paul. I don't listen to Paul. Some say, well, I don't listen to Paul. I listen to Apollos. Some say, well, I don't even listen to Paul or Apollos. I follow Peter's words. And then some even said, I don't listen to any man. I only listen to Christ. We've seen people like that before too, you know. I don't go to church. I just listen to Jesus. It's just me and Jesus, you know. But it, it, it's the same way. It would be like Oasis City Church say, well, I, you know, I don't listen to Pastor Adam. I only listen to Pastor Bill. You know, um, you know I, I, I know what Pastor Lynn thinks, but I'm only listening to Pastor Tara. We can't have a body of Christ. We can't be unified if people are trying to jockey for position. No, we follow the order that Christ has set. As a matter of fact, in the very first verse, Paul identifies himself. He says, I am speaking to you as the apostle that the Lord has chosen and appointed me. And so Paul's making it clear you don't have time to debate over your leadership. Follow the order that God has already set because that's where the blessing is. And he starts off this amazing book. You know, we all love the love chapter. 
You probably have a little 1 Corinthians chapter 13 somewhere on a plaque on your wall somewhere or every wedding that you go to. I mean, we love this, oh, this amazing uh, chapter. And, you know, even the world knows it. Even, even people that aren't even Christians know about how love is patient, kind, and, you know, gentle. That's the part that I always miss. Um, Lynn's like, you need to be more gentle. I'm like, okay. Side note. So in the same book of the Bible, to the same church, from the same apostle, is the instructions about love. Why? Because they weren't loving one another. They had so many divisions in the church at Corinth that there was an economic divide. They had a lot of very wealthy people, and they had a lot of very poor people. And they were treating the wealthy people more important than than those without the wealth. There was division on how to conduct a service. They didn't even know. There was so much a conflict, and there was even division as far as spiritual gifts were concerned. What's more important than the other? How do we value this? And so um, I love this, this statement. Division among believers grossly hinders our message and the ministry to the world of unbelievers. When we have disunity and division, Inside the body of Christ. How can we reach a world effectively of unbelievers if believers can't get it together? It's not just about your life and how you're living it. It's about how you relate to one another. And our goal and our desire is for Oasis City Church to be a church that is unified in, the, in pursuing the things of the kingdom of God. When we're saying we're going after revival, man, if you're not going after revival, you might want to go to another church. And when it comes, we don't necessarily know what it looks like. But we are all worshiping and we're praying and we're we're going after the same things. If you don't want to be in a church where where, um, people look differently than you, you might need to go to a church that's very homogeneous, you know. It's just like just one shade, one color. But if you're going to be a part here, you got to love our differences. We don't tolerate differences. We celebrate our differences. We love our differences. And we will not allow differences to become division. Acts chapter 1, the very first verse, Luke's writing. And he says something very unique. It's mentioned a couple times in the, in the scripture, but, but this particular uh, sentence gives us an idea of what reconciliation really looks like. Acts 1, 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. All that Jesus began to do and teach. Jesus did things differently, and he does things differently Because he does things and then he teaches on them. In our American culture, we learn something before we do it. And But Jesus had a different method. He had a do-then-teach method. He would go out and he would do something. He'd perform a miracle. He would say something. He would would represent something. And then he would talk to his disciples about it. 
And they'll be all like, hey, Jesus, how'd you do that? How'd you heal that guy? You used mud. What's the deal? The spit. I don't understand. You cast out devils. What'd you do with them? Where'd they go? How many did they have? You know, Jesus was constantly doing things and then talking about it afterwards. And here's how it applies to reconciliation. Because reconciliation must be lived out, not just talked about. It must be lived out, not just talked about. See, um, it's been great, you know, and even in our culture and our society, even the world's been talking, having lots of tough conversations that need to be had. But that's not reconciliation. Reconciliation is living it out and walking it out, having relationships and friendships with people that are different than you. Being able to listen to those who have been wounded by uh, the pains of, of prejudice and stereotypes and, and, and those who are, have been looked down upon, people groups, uh, people of color that have been, been thought as less than, even in the church. But even though we are having conversations and even though we're listening, that's not reconciliation. Reconciliation is doing life together. Reconciliation is walking it out, even though, tell me your story. How can I prevent that from happening in another generation? It's learning from one another. It's experiencing one another. And it's showing the world that in a divided society, only the church can model unity. That we may be as one, just like Jesus and the Father are one. And this is the prayer. This is why it's so important that reconciliation is something that we model by and we live it. It's not enough just to come to church and and look across from people that are different than you if you never have lunch with them. Do you want to be right? Because it's it's easy just to be in that field. You know, we all love our own opinions. (laughs) Proverbs says that, you, that we love our own opinions. That's what it says. We love them. And the Lord divides. He separates what's according to him and what's not. He says uh, that opinion is way outside of the scripture. You better get it together. I want to be reconciled. I want to walk in, in reconciliation. You know, and, and people look at Jesus and, and as this model, and, and all throughout the life of Christ, we, we try to like pigeonhole Jesus so that he like fits our viewpoint, uh, de, you know, our denominational thinking or our political thinking. It's like this. Here's an example. Was Jesus a conservative? Yes. Was Jesus a liberal? Yes. Was Jesus a radical? Yes. Was Jesus a heretic? To some, he was. See, we don't, we don't just, we can't put Jesus in our box. We live the life of Christ and we model it. And all throughout the scripture, Jesus is showing the way. And Jesus himself says, I've come to, and he makes his mission statement really plain, really simple. I've come to destroy the works of the devil. I mean, it wasn't 10 sentences. It wasn't 15 paragraphs. You weren't trying to figure out what did Jesus really mean by that. He was really clear. I've come to destroy the works of the devil. So as Christ followers, we carry 
the same thing. He already accomplished it with the finished work of the cross. And now we live it out. We enforce it. We walk in healing and in wholeness and we pursue these things because Jesus already did the work. We just get to, we get to reap the benefits of what he went through and suffered and died and rose again. And so because of the accomplishment of Jesus, he now tells us, you've got to be one. You have to walk reconciled. It's not enough just to be right. As a matter of fact, if you insist on being right, then you can't be reconciled. That's a tough one. If you insist on being right, you're not living reconciliation. Now, of course, um, there are inexcusable behaviors or, or um, belief systems. If it's outside of the scripture, of course, it's not just an opinion, but you can confront somebody and say, you know what? The Bible says this. The word of God says this. And I'm not talking about that. The Bible gives real clear examples. Matthew 18, if you have a disagreement, how you need to handle it. The Bible also says, uh, Paul says, man, if somebody among you has fallen, you need to go gently restore them. And there's even a point where you have to break relationship with people who are way outside because they don't want the discipline of the Lord. And the, the scripture says that the Lord disciplines those he loves. So it's not saying our unity doesn't mean that we just accept anything. No, it means that we're willing to go through life together with one another in pursuit of everything of the kingdom of God. We're willing to receive the discipline of the Lord. We're willing to receive uh, the correction from the Lord. We're willing to receive the fact that we don't have to be right about everything. We're willing to do 1 Corinthians 1.10. Live in unity with people different than us. And not allow divisions. But the, it's really a condition of the heart. It's a, it's, it's a heart matter. Raise your hand if you have a dishwasher. That's not a human. I mean a machine. When I was a kid, uh, we didn't have a dishwasher. Matter of fact, I, I didn't own a dishwasher until after we got married. So that means we did the dishes by hand. And in order to do the dishes by hand, we had what was called a dish rag. Anybody have a dish rag? Do you remember these things? Yes. My children have never heard of a dish rag. They're like, well, what's a dish rag? You know, it's like a washcloth, just like how you clean your body. You clean dishes. And so uh, washing dishes and, and wiping counters and all that, we, we, we all had to do something, which is at the end, we would rinse out the dish rag, right? And then we would do this thing. Uh, I don't know where we learned it, but everybody, it was like a, it was this, this um, uh, unified example here. You, we, we would never just leave the dish rag, you know, with sopping wet you would have to wring out the dish rag, right? So finish with the dish rag, wring out the dish rag, and you sit down. But isn't it true that you could go back to the same dish rag even just a couple minutes later, and if you would wring it out again, a little bit more would come out. The, the, the first ring wasn't enough. And I mean, you could just hit that thing hard, but it was like after the rag came back to its shape, you know, somehow the water, uh, you know, the soap or whatnot would just kind of reposition itself and you could always wring it out again. And when I say it's a heart matter, it's because are we willing to allow the Holy Spirit 
to continually wring our hearts. That anything that doesn't belong there would be removed. I think stereotypes, prejudice, uh, racism, ignorance, I think it needs a second ring. I think when we examine, allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts, uh, that we, he finds things there that we don't think are there. Implicit biases. And like I said last week, you know, just, just stupid statements that we think about other people groups, that we were taught, we were handed it down. I mean, I ask you the question, have you sacrificed your father's bull yet? If you don't know what that means, listen to last week. Because Gideon had to sacrifice his father's bull before he could go on. And things are handed down to us. Gideon's dad had idols. He had to take down the idol. God said, not only cut it down, chop it up and use that wood to sacrifice the bull. Because we're all handed BS. A belief system. That's bull sometimes. Allow God to ring out the next level. Ring out thoughts that don't belong in your mind. Ring out, most of all, things that don't belong in your heart. As David prayed, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right, a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. I mean, it's like, God, ring out anything that's there that's not, anything that's not acceptable to you. I don't want it in my life. And you pray those prayers, and you can walk out reconciliation. Here's a powerful thing. How good and pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. For there, God commands the blessing. Now, the key word, uh, yes, is unity. And the key word is yes, a blessing. But the real key word is one that gets overlooked a lot. And it's the word dwell. Because dwell insinuates something. It insinuates more than an hour of service on a Sunday morning. When you dwell together, you're living together. You're doing life together. You have a small group together. You're chewing on the word together. You're crying together. You're laughing together. You're mourning together. You're celebrating together. You're learning together. How good and how pleasant it is when brothers and sisters in the body of Christ come together and live out unity for their God commands a blessing. What does your life look like when God commands a blessing? When God commands something, there ain't nothing stopping it. It's not like you might be blessed. You might feel good after. No, God says, I'm commanding a blessing. Now, I don't have time to go into what I wanted to end the sermon with, but I just want to hit a portion of it. I wanted to talk a little bit about the Good Samaritan and and break down um, some passages, and I'll just do that later at some point. If you don't know the story, you can uh, just look it up. But one of the things I feel like is such an example and a picture of reconciliation, because Jews and Samaritans 
didn't get along. As a matter of fact, Jews couldn't even hang out with Samaritans. Samaritans were mixed race people. They didn't fit in the culture. And most of the time, if you had to travel, you traveled around. You didn't go through. So you probably heard the story before in some setting. I mean, there's even a good Samaritan law out there. But the most fascinating piece of this laying your life down for a friend, or in this case, laying your life down for somebody very different than you. Going beyond divisions. The interesting part is after, after the good Samaritan was able to uh, help the Jew who was robbed and beaten and left for dead, he puts him on his own donkey, takes him to the inn, and he's got something to do. He has somewhere to go. He's got business to take care of. So he pays the innkeeper for a few nights stay for the guy to get well. But he said something really interesting. He said, I'm going to be gone for a few days. I'm going to come back here. I'm going to check on him. If he needs more time, give it to him. And I'm going to pay for it. In other words, he was willing to use his own resources, not just the prayer line, he was not just a, hey, hope you're doing good. Hey, hang in there. Life's tough, but he said, I'm going to go the extra mile. And whatever you need, I've got you in this. You're different than me. We're not supposed to hang out. But I want to be reconciled to you because it's the right thing to do. He had every opportunity to just to be right. It's not my fault he got robbed. It's not my fault. Okay, I'll just, I'll give him a night's stay, but I ain't paying for two, two extra nights. Are you kidding me? That's a hundred bucks a night. And I just want to encourage us. Let's be in agreement with unity. Where we're going as a church, let's be in agreement with prayer and in agreement with worship in agreement with the word, in agreement with groups, in agreement with one church, two locations, in agreement with um, leadership, in agreement with growing, in agreement with new people, new faces. Let's be in agreement. Let's be in agreement for revival in Columbus, Ohio. Let's be in agreement for revival in Pittsburgh. Are we in agreement for revival in the state of Ohio? Let's agree to extend the kingdom. I just want to pray for you right now. And then uh, we're going to receive communion together. It's probably the most powerful representation of agreement in the body. But right now, just before communion, would you just, would you just put yourself in kind of a receiving position? Maybe it's a hand out. Maybe it's close your eyes, you know, whatever. I just want to pray over you. I want to pray over everyone watching right now online as well. Father, I just speak the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow. And in that, God, I'm asking that you examine our hearts. And we willfully say, ring out anything inside me that I don't even know is there. We willfully say, God, create in us pure heart, that our soul would be renewed, and that we would truly dwell together, 
live together. Live out reconciliation, not just talk about it. Lord, that you would use Oasis City Church as an example to not just the world, but to other churches of how differences can be celebrated and how we, at the same time, we won't allow division in our lives. So I bless your people in the name of Jesus. Amen.